Let's jump into the 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we have focused our attention here over the last few weeks about these spiritual gifts, these nine specifically listed in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read that here in a minute, but understand this. When we look at anything that we look at, we come from a, a scriptural standpoint, that and that alone, because... The problem that we have in today's world, and we were discussing this a little bit this morning, is you have opinions on every side of the aisle no matter what the situation is. I mean, if you walk outside, somebody will argue that the sky is green just for the sake of arguing that the sky is green, okay? The problem we have is that there has to be some standard of which we apply all truth to. And when you have a biblical worldview, that simply comes from Scripture. So the argument against the gifts of the Spirit aren't a scriptural one, but more of an experiential one. You do not believe in the gifts in operation in their form that we call them today for one of two reasons. One, you were taught that that's not how they work. Or two, you had a negative experience. It is most often one of those two. And if you simply read scripture for what it is, you cannot deny that there is something supernatural that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. The question is, is what is the purpose of that and what do you do with that? Every time it was in the Old Testament, it was for a specific person. Like when we talked about the anointing, we talk about, boy, that music was anointed or, or that individual is anointed. Well, what is anointing? We talk about the anointing of God falling upon us. But if you study out the anointing, you see that when something was anointed, it was set aside or set apart for God. It was anointed with a purpose. So the anointing doesn't fall. It's very deliberate. Make sense? We're just using the wrong terms. The same comes true when we talk about these gifts of the Spirit. The thing is, is that Paul is trying to express when he's dealing with the church in Corinth is they've got a lot of screwed up things that are going on. He's trying to bring some correction. There's a lot of messed up stuff that is going on inside of that particular body that he's bringing correction to. In chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts. So he's changing his thought and focusing on these spiritual gifts. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were, carried, or you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. And therefore I make to, known to you that no one can speak of the, by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diver, uh, difference of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, another prophecy, another discerning of spirits, another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, if I just told you, take these nine, tell me the one thing these all have in common, your answer would be given by the Spirit. They're all in lockstep with the movement of the Holy Spirit. Fair enough? The one thing that we have a problem with is Paul does not define what these are. Right? He does not say, let me explain to you now what the word of wisdom is. And going through some diatribe about, hey, here's what it is, here's what it's not, and all of that kind of stuff. So that leads us to begin to speculate a little bit, doesn't it? Because you see, wisdom and knowledge, it can't be the same thing because he distinguishes the two. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. It comes upon individual for what? The whole purpose is this, is in this moment, in the use of the body for the greater good of the body, that is the context. 
So there has to be a distinguishing of them, but he doesn't tell us what it is. That tells me something, and it should tell you something as well. Don't overcomplicate it. Right? Because he's telling us that there are nine individual gifts, and he goes on more because there's obviously more than that. But he doesn't define them so you can track exactly what it is. Do you really care that if you are so moved by the Holy Spirit with a word from the Lord, whether it is a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, do you care? I sure don't. If you were to come to me and give me something from God that absolutely checks out with something that I've been praying about or whatever the case may be, I do not care if it's wisdom or knowledge. I care the source in which it came from. So keep first things first. That's where we got to focus. The distinguishing between these two, as we are attempting to do, I'm only doing so we begin to see, yes, there are a diversity of gifts, but it all comes from the same Holy Spirit. We can begin to distinguish between the, the groupings of them, but that is really something that we have done in this age for ourselves. Because frankly, we like to understand stuff. I've told you before, I hate not understanding something. It drives me insane. It's like cryptocurrency. You guys ever looked into cryptocurrency? I like math, all right? I've always been pretty good at it. I'm decent with numbers. I mean, I'm no Albert Einstein, but I could be a son. And I'm, I like numbers. But the concepts behind cryptocurrencies make zero sense to me whatsoever. I will not even attempt to go into it and explain it because I will butcher it that badly because I don't get it. And I've tried to understand it, and I've talked to people that understand it, and when they explain it, it kind of makes sense. And the second I go to try to tell somebody else, it no longer makes sense. It drives me insane. I don't like things I don't understand how they function. I've told you the VCR story from when I'm a kid. Here's what I know about VCRs. I am probably eight years old. We have a VCR. At that point, they were $800. All I knew for a fact is you put in the tape, and it plays Bambi on the TV. That's what I knew. But how does it play Bambi on the TV? Well, if you take it apart, you probably figure it out. You know what I found out? You take it apart, I still don't know why it works. The other part is an eight-year-old has no business taking apart a VCR because it never did go back together again. <laughs> 800 bucks. It's engraved in my brain. I will never forget the conversation with my father. Okay? It was not pleasantries, let's put it that way but I wanted to understand it. So what I'm telling you is to sit here and drill down deep and attempt to harvest every part of knowledge out of this will not make you closer to God. But you should have an understanding of it for one reason and one reason only. We are called to discern between the real and the fake. If you have an understanding how something works, you will be able to begin to discern what is good and what is not good. I don't mean necessarily evil and nefarious. I'm just saying that people, good-hearted people, will give you words from the Lord that may not be from the Lord. They may mean well, but that doesn't mean that they are. So let's look at these. So last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the revelation gifts. We've got these broke down. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Now you will notice, and I, I, I hammered on this, that all of these work cohesively together. 
all right? But all given by the same Spirit, they work. They're meant to be unified. You may operate in one more than the other. You may operate in them all at different times, depending on the distinction. But we looked at the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. The ability in the word of wisdom and knowledge is to either know something from the Lord about an individual, about a situation, how to act in a moment. I showed you some scriptural examples of that. And then the discerning of spirits is usually one of two things. It's knowing what the Spirit is behind the situation, Maybe it's a person you're dealing with, or at sometimes people have been able to see the spirit behind the situation. Now, I know that gets a little crazy, and the problem we have with that and why that sounds weird to us is the fact that the church has done everything in its power to eliminate the supernatural from the Bible. We have taken it and just said, listen, I just don't want any of that weird stuff. You know why? Because weird stuff don't attract new members. Here's a note. We're not trying to attract new members. We're the body of Christ. We're trying to be his hands and feet and be his example. As you guys have learned on Wednesday night, what it talks about to be made in the image of God is literally to be his imager, as in his representative on this earth. That was the call of Adam and Eve on their lives individually. What does Jesus say? You are my ambassador. Take that word of reconciliation to the world. It's the same thing. He's bringing things back together. So just because the Bible, some of it's kind of weird, doesn't mean it's not true. And so, seeing these things, now let me give you an example of that. Now, people could be making this stuff up. I don't know, all right? I wasn't there, but I'm telling you the stories. There was one time that Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, if you know who he is, some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, he was the founder of the school that I went to. But anyway, he told a story that this lady had been prayed for multiple times. Now, I might get some of these details wrong. It's been a few years ago. But it had been prayed for multiple times. He wasn't being healed, couldn't figure out what it was. And so she'd come up into his healing line, and he was getting ready to pray for her. He opened his eyes, and he looked at her, and she had a demon that was doing something to her back. I don't remember. It was like clenched on. Now, everybody else had prayed for that woman to be healed. But he discerned the spirit behind what was happening and rebuked it. And he said he saw that thing just go through the back wall. Now, what was the difference? Everybody else did not discern what was happening. They assumed it was a sickness, an ailment. And again, I apologize, I don't remember what it was. But he was able to discern. You can do that without seeing them. You can walk into a situation and know, okay, something, something's off here. We have to be able to discern between truth and lies. Right? We have to be able to discern between good and evil. We have to be able to discern between the heart of somebody who has your best interest and one who does not. So that is where discernment comes in. So those are the revelatory gifts, the idea that God is revealing something to us in a situation that we know how to act. Let's go on to the next one. We talked about this last week. The power gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of miracle, and the gifts of healing, gifts plural. The, the faith is the moments where you're in a situation, and all of a sudden, there's just no doubt in you. People walk around haughty and say, yeah, I just got faith and all this other stuff. The truth is, is there's always a modicum of doubt in the back of our mind, even if it's just a little. Because we're always wondering, well, what if this doesn't work? Because we have not fully persuaded. We have not fully accepted the truth of the word. But you saw examples, and these are my opinions, but when Peter looked intently on the lame man at the beautiful gate, it took an amount of faith. We're in Acts 3. Stand up. I don't have silver. I don't have gold. In the name of Jesus rise up and walk and he reached out his hand but he looked intently on him we saw the same thing with paul there was something this boldness is that the gift of faith in operation i say yes can i prove that scripturally no it's my opinion 
Miracles, we know what they are. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Supernatural things. We talked about Peter's shadow being cast. Bring him out. Man, something's going on. Cutting up Paul's apron and mailing those out. Something's going on. We don't know what, but they were getting the results. It was something happening there. And then the gifts of healing. Healing from physical ailments. All throughout Scripture. I don't even have to go in deep on that one because you see that everywhere. So we got these, but now we're going to turn our attention to the vocal gifts or the inspiration gifts, we call them. Tongues, the interpretations of tongues, and prophecy. Now I intended to put all three of these together in the same sermon. But as I was preparing this, I realized that I really want to spend more time on prophecy so I have separated that one. I'm going to talk about that next week. And the reason for that is we just don't understand it. We get excited about the term, but we don't really know what it means. We don't really know how God operates through that. So we're going to focus our attention on tongues and interpretation of tongues. So there's a chance that this is going to be one of my shorter sermons. Is that okay? Yeah, I know. A round of applause. There you go. The thing is, is we have to begin to look at this and say, okay, what is it? Now, we talked about tongues. When we were talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I went through and showed through 1 Corinthians 14 the distinction between a public and private use of tongues. I showed you what that was. I showed you the different beliefs in that, but I want to go into this a little bit again today. It's going to be a bit of a recap, but then we're going to focus our attention on the interpretation of tongues. So, here we go. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, let's stop. Understand the context. 12 through 14, one idea. It's dealing with spiritual gifts. We call chapter 13 the love chapter. Unfortunately, because of that, we miss the nuances of 12 and 14 because we split it. But 13 is all about that, about these spiritual gifts. So he says to desire spiritual gifts. Now, question for you, all right, for the geniuses that are sitting in the back row. When it says to desire spiritual gift, this is Paul talking. He's telling you to do something. What should you do? Perhaps you should do it. To desire spiritual gifts. In other words, it's good. You should want these. But, especially that you may prophesy. So he puts one above the rest. You guys see that? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. We'll come back to that next week. He who speaks in a tongue, he edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Do you see how he's putting prophecy up here? Everything else down here, but prophecy's up here. Why? Because it is for the exhortation of the church. Speaking in tongues does not do you any good unless one interprets. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now he puts a qualifier. Prophecies up here, tongues is down here. Unless one interprets, and now they're on the same level. You guys see that? It's important to catch. Because we have to begin to understand what is being notated here by Paul. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And to another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, that's interesting to me. That he said there are different kinds of tongues. What does that mean? Some will say that that means different kinds of languages. 
our tongues a language on this earth? Could be. Does it ever say anywhere that it is or is not? No. The one example we know for sure is in Acts chapter 2 that they were either speaking a known language or the hearers were hearing their own language. Could go either way. Either way, what do we know? It's supernatural. But he says different kinds of tongues. So is it possible that the idea of tongues is distinguished that there is more than one kind? In other words, the use of tongues. We talk about private use, and then we talk about public use. Is there possibly more than one use? Well, that would line up with what we've seen so far. Now we jump to chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, here he talks about the tongues of men. What could he be referencing? Language that you know. But he also says the tongues of angels. Is he somehow inferring a heavenly language? Forgive the term, but you get what I'm saying. Is there maybe an inference there to something like that? Why not? It's not forbidden. We know that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you don't speak to men but to God. So whatever that language is, God certainly understands, is that an angelic language in which they all speak? I don't know. One day we'll ask them. Okay? So I'm giving you some ideas here. We know some tongues are human languages. We saw that on the day of Pentecost. Some tongues have a heavenly origin that no man understands unless one interprets. So in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Mysteries to whom? Man, to you, we don't know it. If I begin to pray out right now, whatever I'm praying for, and I'm praying in English, all of you will understand, unless I talk too fast. And it happens once in a while, okay? But you'll get it, you'll understand it, right? So if we came together and we said, Lord, we're just going to ask you right now, be with the Oklahoma Sooners. They haven't seen such poor place since the 90s. Bring them to a higher place. But we also thank you for bringing them where they should be. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I mean, I can't help it. Stan, I'm so sorry. I know you're going through so much right now. You know, I'm just going to keep hammering on the Nebraska didn't lose. All right? So, but when we talk about the ideas in a heavenly tongue, nobody understands him. So there, there's a summary of these, okay? We believe that the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is they begin to speak in tongues. The reason we believe that is because the pattern we see in Scripture. Peter knew that the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the Gentiles because he heard them speaking in tongues. Then he really hammered on that fact because in the next chapter, in chapter 11, as he's explaining to all the Jews who were shocked, you went to a Gentile's home? How dare you? He said, I was shocked too when the Holy Spirit fell on them that God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit just like he had us. So he's making a point that they knew it based off of that. The second part is that praying in tongues as a prayer language where somehow the mind is being bypassed, but your spirit communicates with God directly. We see that in what we just read in 1 Corinthians 14 and other places. Now we're going to get into the idea of tongues with interpretation. What do we do with tongues and interpretation? They are for the spiritual edification of the church body. It would be something that we would do together. And the last part is tongues with interpretation can be a sign to an unbeliever. And we'll get into that. 
something that an unbeliever understands uh, the language that's being spoken. When we talk about interpretation, we often believe that it's just simply somebody stands up. But has there ever been an example where somebody is praying out in a tongue and that some hearer happens to be there and they are praying in a language that that individual understands? It has happened. We saw it in Acts 2, whatever the case may be. I've also heard many, many stories. There was a, a time that a guy was in Korea, and he was just in a worship service. He's by himself. He's praying in the spirit. Happened to have some Korean there that heard everything he was saying and literally telling him all the things that he had done. I mean, it was crazy, the story. You know, could it be made up? Sure. But when we went down to El Salvador the last time, Connie, uh, for those of you guys that know Connie, she was praying like, Lord, I don't speak Espanol. So I am asking you that you would allow me to do this and that they may understand. And she was pretty adamant about it. And she had asked some of them, he's like, as I was praying, did you understand? And they said yes. Now, I don't know. You know why? The only thing I can do with Spanish is order food. I don't know what any of the words, right? So what I'm saying is these things happen or at least have been claimed to have happened. It never happened to me, but maybe somebody here has. So let's get into this idea of what the interpretation of tongues is is all right i want you to see this today so you understand what it is and ultimately what it is not first corinthians chapter 14 verse 6 this is now brethren if i come to you speaking with tongues what shall i profit you unless i speak to you either by revelation by knowledge by prophesying or by teaching even things without life whether flute or harp when they make a sound unless they make a distinction in the sound how will it be known what is piped or played is that fair if I brought somebody in that speaks nothing but Russian and had them stand up here and just start talking to you, what would you do? You'd smile and nod because you're polite, right? It's no different. If somebody comes up here and begins to just rattle something off in a tongue, does it do the church any good? No. And that is his point. Verse 8, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of language in the world, and none of them is without significance. So therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So he's, he's not getting on them. He's just bringing correction. They are zealous for these gifts. So these are two times he said you should desire them. And he says, since you're zealous, that's great. But when you come together, let it be for the edification of the church as a whole. If you came in today and I just began to speak everything in Russian, and that was from start to finish the entire sermon, what would you leave with today? Not much. Let me give you an example. I went to a church in Tulsa. When I uh, was down there, I had a, a friend of mine that I'd met. He was a, uh, a former homosexual. He'd given his life to Christ. He got invited to go to this church. This church was in the back of a Ron's Hamburgers. If you ever been down there, they're everywhere down there. You know what's wrong with that, and this should not be allowed? It's the entire time it smells like Ron's Hamburgers, and it smells wonderful. It was a four-and-a-half-hour service, okay? That's a long time. So just be thankful, y'all. That's all I'm saying, all right? So we're sitting there, it starts the service off, it was, basic, it was a very, very small church, obviously, they were kind of new, uh, the lady singing, couldn't decide on what key she wanted to sing in, so she sang in all of them, um, 
you know, that was kind of rough. And then it came time, and that went on for like an hour and 15 minutes. Here comes the pastor, giant African man, giant, six foot six plus, had to be 300 pounds, giant, right? And I'm like, wow, he's big. And he has such a thick African accent. I understood zero of the words he said until he said, amen, hallelujah, something like that. I had never seen a man sweat so profusely in my life. So I'm sitting there, and the people around me are just, yes, that's good, and all of that. And I'm like, are they just encouraging him? Because I, I did not understand anything that he was saying. He just had such a thick accent. That's not his fault, right? I mean, he was speaking English. I just couldn't understand him. And so it got towards the end of the service, and it was time, you know, they had to stand up, they're going to sing again, and he, he begins to sing, and he points me out, and he says, brother, I want you to stand up. Now, I understood that part. So I stood up, and he heard a prophecy or something. There was a problem. I don't know what he said. Ten minutes, he went on. I hope it was good. I really do. I have no idea. I'm sitting there like, okay. And again, I'm, I'm 19 years old. I don't, I don't know anything, you know. But I'm sitting there like, and, and I had people come up to me. It's like, man, that was really good how the Lord touched you today. And I'm like, good. No idea. I had no idea what he said. What good did that do me? Was he confirming something that I was praying for? Was the Lord giving me direction? Was the Lord trying to reach me about something I needed to change in my life? My answer is, I have no idea. Because I couldn't understand what was being said. That is the same thing that Paul is making a point of here. Is how one operates in the church body together. It doesn't do any good. Verse 13, Therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So now, if I were to stand up and pray in a tongue, what does he just tell me to do? Pray that I may interpret. There, the idea of that you know, somebody stands up and prays in a tongue and somebody else stands up and gives an interpretation can happen, but here we see specifically what Paul is given direction for. So what is the conclusion? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, you, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I can tell you firsthand that is true. I, not only in that story, but I have been in other places. El Salvador, been to Mexico, I've been to the Philippines, I've been to other places. And when they're going, and they're just saying whatever they're saying, I'm just, yeah. And then they say, amen. I'm like, amen? All I got. No idea. Right? Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So is he getting on to tongues? Is he saying, don't, don't, don't speak in tongues? Absolutely not. He's bringing order to the church. He's saying that, listen, if you stand up and you pray in a tongue, then pray that you can interpret. That the body itself is edified in this. But don't just get up and do it. Don't everybody at once just get up and do it because nobody is edified in that. You are, nobody else is. We see that. You guys understand that? So, now, one other point I want to make is there is a difference between interpretation and translation. Now, I've asked Alma to help me out this morning. As you guys know, Alma's from El Salvador. Alma, would you come up here, please? If you have never had a translator, 
speak, she is going to speak in Spanish for us. Okay? You can just say something to them in Spanish. Okay. Una invitación esta mañana a todos que empiecen a escuchar al pastor con todo el corazón, no solo con la mente. Did you catch that? I have no. Amen. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we talk with our heads. Too. You do, all right. I understand. So here's what I'm going to do to give you an idea of how this works. There, again, difference between translation and interpretation. I'm going to read Psalm 23. I would like you to repeat it in Spanish. I did not forewarn her what she's doing. I just said, you're going to be there, right? So you want to read it? Would that be better? Would that help? Do you have it in Spanish? I, no, I don't have it in Spanish. <laughs> even if I had it, I wouldn't even know if it's right. <laughs> She's going to look it up. She says her Spanish is a little rusty. Oh, I could translate it. Probably. But when you go over, so when you're preaching in a foreign country, uh, the hardest thing to learn is to wait and allow the poor person who's translating for you to get the words out. Right? It is hard. Okay? Psalm 23. You, Psalm 23? Psalm 23. Really? Well, there you go. See? Language has no barrier. Okay. All right. So I'll read it in English. You read it in Spanish. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. El Señor es mi pastor. Nada me falta. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. En verdes praderas me hace descansar. He leads me beside the still waters. En las aguas tranquilas me conduce. He restores my soul. Me da fuerzas y me lleva por caminos rectos hacia honor a su nombre. <laughs> yeah, that's, He that's leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Are you in number three? I am. Okay. Are you in number three? Yes, yes, okay, yes, good. yes, yes. Me da fuerzas, me da nuevas fuerzas y me lleva por caminos rectos haciendo honor a su nombre. Okay. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Aunque pase por el más oscuro de los valles, no temeré peligro alguno porque tu Señor... Oh, okay, you, you didn't do the whole thing, right? Never mind. Sorry. You just one sentence. I'm okay. just rusty, okay? Okay, okay, I'll, okay. I'll work okay, on okay. it. Okay. I will fear no evil. Okay. No temeré al enemigo. For you are with me. Porque tu Señor estás conmigo. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Tu vara y tu bastón me inspiran confianza. You prepare a table before me in the me presence has, of my enemies. Me has preparado un banquete ante los ojos de mis enemigos. See, I tend to get ahead. Yeah. You know, because I know what he's going to right. do, and that's my problem. Right, that's so okay. Normal. Listen, <laughs> there's no test at the end of this. You're doing fine. Did anybody else know that she was doing it wrong? And no, you didn't, did you, right? Neither did I. I'm just going. For you are with me, and your rod and staff comfort me. Okay. Just I'm still on verse 4. Oh, okay. You want me to hold it? No, you know, I'm fine. Okay, porque tu Señor estás conmigo y tu vara y bastón me inspiran confianza. I think I read That's that part already. That's what I said I was getting ahead. Okay. Because you just did one sentence and then I did the whole thing. Okay, well, I'll try to, I'll try to catch up. You prepare <laughs> a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Me has preparado un banquete ante los ojos de mis enemigos. You anoint my head with oil. Has vertido perfume en mi cabeza. My cup runs over. Y has llenado mi copa a rebosar. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Tu, tu bondad y tu amor me acompañan. All the days of my life. A lo largo de mis días. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Y en tu casa, oh Señor, por siempre viviré. Good. Yeah, give her, you know, 
done. Don't leave yet. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. Now, there is a difference between translation and interpretation. So translating, now with Alma, she knows where I'm going and stuff like that. But when you get somebody who doesn't know you personally. Siri is talking Siri wants to play along too. But when you get somebody who is translating for you, they will say word for word what you're saying most of the time. But interpretation is in the interpretation of the thought behind it. So now Jim, when he's in El Salvador preaching, gets somebody besides Alma to interpret for him because not only will she say what he's saying, she will also say what he's thinking, (laughs) which is what wives in America do too, right? It's not a foreign concept. I already know what he's going to say. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like, why did he even come? Listen, let me tell you all the things that are in Jim's brain. It'll take me 14 seconds, and then we'll move on, right? (laughs) I understand, and that's the way it goes. But but there is a difference between translating and interpreting. So now, here's what I'm going to ask you. I know this is going to be tough. She's rusty. I have this. I would like you to just read this in Spanish for me. Okay, I, I can hold it for you. I can hold it far away if you'd like. But do your best to just read this in Spanish. And then I want you guys to know this is something from the Lord, okay? Read it in Spanish. In Spanish. Yo estoy muy agradecida con cada uno de ustedes. Y, y estaba orando esta semana al Señor que me revelara some, algo acerca de mí. Tú estás por recibir una bendición del Señor, pero tú tienes que actuar en fe. Sí, I'm very rusty. That's okay. You're better than the rest of us. To God's word you have the opportunity to give you, Pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Aprobar tu fe de Dios esta mañana, tienes la oportunidad de darle a tu pastor 100 dólares. Qué gran oportunidad para el Señor para, pro, para proveer hoy este día. Amén. 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 Yes, good job. Give her a big round of applause. Amén. Now, you guys know that amén. What does amén mean? It means so be it, right? So let me show you what you just agreed to. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. I am so grateful that you each could be here today. As I was praying this week, the Lord revealed something to me. But you're about to receive a blessing from the Lord. You must act in faith. To prove your faith to God's word, you have the opportunity to give your pastor $100. What a great opportunity the Lord has provided for you today. Amén. Containers in the back. <laughs> now, I know that's stupid. I'm so sorry. This is how my brain works. I've told you, squirrels with knives running through my head. That's the only way I can explain it. But think about this. This is what happens when you don't understand what the words are being said. That is why Paul is hammering on this. Is that interpretation, it comes from the Greek word hermania. I think I've got that up there. I may not even be saying that. It's where we get the idea of hermeneutics. It's the science of interpretation. And the Greek word has several meanings. It can be translation, explanation, or interpretation. But the verb that is used several times throughout the, the New Testament has a meaning of translation. The noun that we see in 1 Corinthians literally means an explanation or interpretation. The difference word for word, or the thought behind it. What I'm telling you here, and this is where we often get misunderstood, there's two parts to this. It's the number one thing is that when you hear somebody praying in tongues, somebody who is against this, what do they say? It sounds just like gibberish. They're just saying the same thing over and over again. I can tell you firsthand 
that when you get to fluent Spanish-speaking people, they talk very fast, right? They put me to shame. And none of it, it is so fast, it just sounds like gibberish back and forth, but they know what they're saying. It, and I remember I was sitting in El Salvador with them. We're riding in the van in Alma, and Pastor Mario are up there talking. I looked at Jim. I'm like, anybody who says that tongue sounds like gibberish needs to listen to Spanish. That's no knock on the language, but it's so fast in the way they communicate. I could not distinguish the sounds. I, I couldn't get anything. You need to get to burrito or taco or natural bel grande before I can play along. Because then, other than that, I'm out. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for the edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. He's not forbidding this. He is saying that if you're going to stand up, if you're going to do this publicly and loudly, there needs to be an interpretation. He goes on later to say, otherwise those of the uninformed will think you're nuts. And that is exactly how it goes. Now, why am I hammering on this and what am I talking about? There are two parts to this. Number one is that you get two people speaking a language together, it does sound very gibberish if you have no knowledge of what that language is. But the second part is, translating can be word for word. Jim took some books down, Jim and Alma both took some books down to Mexico. And how many pages extra would you say? Something like that. 40 extra pages in Spanish to convey the same thing because of how it was being translated, interpreted, and all of that. But when one is interpreting something, the length of the message and the interpretation don't necessarily line up. It could be a very short word in tongue, but the interpretation would be very long, or vice versa. Because I remember one time Jim had said, where he's preaching, Alma was translating for him, he says a sentence, it was a short sentence, but Alma went on because she was explaining what he meant. And Jim just smiling like, is it my turn yet? Do I, do I go now? It was funny, because that's exactly how it happens. I mean, it happens to all of us. Those two are married, so they're like, they are one flesh, that's for sure. They know each other's thoughts and all of that. But there's an example of something similar in Scripture. And that's the whole thing. Is it scriptural? There's obviously something in this that Paul is spending so much time hammering on. There's a purpose for it and how to do it, right? But is there anything scriptural to give an indicator or something that we can look at as an example? So let's look at Daniel chapter 5. Because there's something in here that I think is powerful when we begin to look at this. Now, the word tongues is not going to be mentioned here, but I want you to see something that happens. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lord and drank wine in the presence of thousands. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessel which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Now understand this, this is not a good idea. Okay, this is a really bad idea. So his father was Nebuchadnezzar. That is why the Jews are there. They caught, captured them. They brought them into uh, Babylon. And when they did, they took all the vessels that were inside of the temple with them. And now he's making a mockery of it because they're having a party and they're going to drink out of those. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of the God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the God of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So they took the vessels consecrated to God and gave thanks to whom? Other gods for them. 
In the same hour, the finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. The king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. As would yours. There you are minding your business, and there's a giant hand writing words on your wall. Okay? It's going to throw you off too. The king cried aloud to bring in his astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying, to the wise men of Babylon. Why does he say the wise men of Babylon? This is a side note, but I have to point it out. Remember the wise men who came from the east during the Christmas story? That was these guys. Daniel's in charge of them. That's how they knew. Anyway, that one's free. So the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. He shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. But the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts be troubled, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Okay? So who do we have on him? The Holy Spirit. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So you see what I'm talking about before. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, uh, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. How can he do this? The Spirit of God dwells within him. Then Daniel was brought before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel and who the captives of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make it known to me as interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. I have heard of you, and that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing... And make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now let's stop. Is it interesting that the Holy Spirit is upon him, giving him the ability to interpret whatever, and word has now finally gotten to the king. How long was he sitting here before he got called up with this ability? We don't know. It's a long time. But here it is. Why did they turn to him? Because when all else fails, go to the source. All right? Verse 17, Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. He didn't care about the power, the gold, the purple, none of that stuff. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom of majesty, glory, and honor. And because the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. You guys remember that story? How he was out, he was crazy, he's eating grass, all that. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. So God humbles him. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. 
Although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, apherson. I don't know if, again, don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Four words, one twice. See that? Not a very long message. This is the interpretation of each word. You ready? Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with a purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. So we see that there were basically three words, but four words. Now, Perez and Apherson are the same word. Don't, don't get confused by that. But look at the interpretation. You go from four words to a basically a small paragraph, do you not? Do you see that the word given and the interpretation don't match up perfectly? This is a scriptural example of something like that. Is it tongues and interpretation? No, it is not. But it is certainly a word from the Lord being interpreted to a man, which is a pattern that we see with tongues and interpretation. That is one of the arguments against this. Well, yeah, but you see these people, you know, they give a very long term uh, tongue and a short interpretation or vice versa. You see, it doesn't line up. Obviously, that is not the litmus test we use to prove it. You guys see that? This is why we kind of focused here, because I want you to see that our practice should be biblical. Can I strictly define all of these gifts individually without crossover, how we we know which one is which? I can't from a biblical standpoint, but I can from a practical standpoint. I can begin from an experiential standpoint, which is the same thing that Paul is doing, because these gifts were in operation in the church, but there was no manual on how to do it. So it was kind of a free-for-all, and Paul is trying to bring some order. And that order is, let it be done for the edification of the body. Not everybody just stand up. Not everybody just get up and prophesy. Let two or three, the rest judge. Not everybody stand up and give a tongue. Let two or three and another interpret. You guys see that? That is the point Paul is making here. He's just simply bringing order to it. He is not defining directly what it is. So can I directly define what it is from Scripture? No, I can't. I can tell you my experiences. I can tell you what I've seen. I can tell you what I've been taught. But I can't from Scripture give you a strict definition. But what I can show you is there are examples of all of this stuff and the way we believe it works throughout the entirety of Scripture, including the Old Testament. Now, what does that mean to us? That means that God, being the same yesterday, today, and forever, has given us examples in the Old Covenant and in the New. This was not a new practice. You guys see that? I want you to understand that. Next week as we get into prophecy, we have to understand what it is and what is it not. What we think it is is that we just say something that is a future prediction and then it comes true. But that's not necessarily how prophecy works in Scripture. Then you have the idea of what happens if somebody prophesies falsely? Well, they're labeled a false prophet. And in the Old Testament, what do they do with false prophets? Them. What happens if somebody gives a prophecy today that doesn't come true? Do we stone them? We say no, but the question is, why do we say no? 
Because if they're claiming to be a mouthpiece from the Lord, should we not expect a standard to be there? And so I'm going to show you from a New Testament and Old Testament uh, examples of how obviously we don't stone them or we'd all be stoned by now. But that you can see there's a distinction between a false prophet and one who prophesies falsely. We have to get this stuff because I'm telling you there's going to be an uptick of the moving of the Holy Spirit here in the days to come. And the reason I can tell you that is we're closer to the end times. And Acts 2 tells us to be prepared for that. Paul giving directive on how this stuff should work. We need to be sensitive to that. We should desire these spiritual gifts and be zealous for them. If we're not, none of this matters. But if we are, then we should know how the Lord intends for us to be able to use them. Amen?